Well, good morning. Uh, it's lovely to see you this morning. Great to see the church family, familiar faces. Great to see new, some new faces as well. So welcome if this is your first time. Um, I'll be at the back at the end. Come up and say hi. I'd love to uh, get a chance to greet you personally. And if you've been coming for a while and this is feeling like a church home, why don't you think about going to Connect Corner and asking about the membership class because that's the way to really get involved uh, in the life of the church. Uh, Keith Percival has very kindly agreed to restart the, uh, the bookstore. And a book of the month is The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson, rediscovering the sacred in an everyday world. Um, Sharon and I have been reading this uh, sort of as devotions together, and it's absolutely brilliant. Small reflections on what we can learn about God as we look at mountains, earthquakes, pigs, salt, and all manner of things. It's absolutely fresh and brilliant. I really encourage you to get hold. We've got 25 copies today, £8.50, first come, first serve. And uh, what a joy to hear how Hope City is flourishing. Isn't that amazing? You know, um, we sent out a smaller group to have 100, 120. What a thrill. And so, Ian, thank you for coming and helping us with the music. Ian's one of the elders there. And uh, please pass on our greetings, our ongoing prayers. And we're so encouraged. And uh, well done for thinking about 2023. Very courageous. We shall pray on with you for that. Debbie uh, became a Christian in her 30s, but she's really haunted by what took place in her 20s with an unplanned pregnancy. She thought that the man that she loved was going to be her lifelong partner, but when um, she shared the news of her pregnancy, his first response was hostile. How are you going to fix the problem? He said. And alone and unsupported, she chose to have an abortion. Afterwards, she couldn't sleep very well. She wasn't eating very well. The grief and trauma of that experience. He had told her to stop making such a fuss about it. And she knew that their relationship was over. And so there she is in her 30s. She's in church. Outwardly, she looks confident. But inwardly, she feels haunted by a sense of guilt and anger that led her to those events where she chose to take the life of her baby. And the truth is, as we look out on a Sunday morning, we all brush up pretty good. But many people are carrying with them heavy luggage, heavy luggage of guilt and condemnation and regret. I remember... Uh, at a church I pastored in America, uh, one evening, we just went around the room with the elders, and uh, I asked them how they were getting on. They were all impressive, godly people. But one by one, as we went around that room, each of them shared how they were loaded with feelings of guilt and condemnation. The things that they did that they should not have done, and the good things that we had failed to do. So what does God have to say about this? Well, can I encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We were preaching through the book of Romans before COVID struck, 
and we paused and went through Mark and a few other things. And I thought if we were turning back to Romans, we should start, restart at chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read the first four verses that we're going to look at today. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Abba Father, please help us grasp all that you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to all take our refuge in Christ and by your Holy Spirit be assured that we are your loved and reconciled children who are secure for all eternity. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this is rightly one of the most loved chapters in the Bible. It's filled with great assurances for the Christian. God really wants us to be secure in his love. He wants us to enjoy our relationship with him as our loving father. But we are so tempted to doubt that he specifically loves us. Because we're aware of the past failures and regrets. We're aware of our present struggles with sin. And we get rocked when suffering and death comes near to us. And so we regularly need to return to this chapter, I would say, to rightly enjoy our relationship with God. And this morning I want us to consider two main points. Firstly, to see the scope of our salvation. And secondly, to see how this salvation comes about. So firstly, I want us to look at the scope of this salvation. See, in this whole chapter 8, we're going to get a comprehensive view of the salvation of God. How it deals with our past. How it, how it deals with our, our present challenges. And, and how it secures our future. And there are two great freedoms that are mentioned in the opening two verses of Romans 8. The first is in verse 1. It's freedom from God's condemnation. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would say it's worth memorizing this and uh, recalling it and rem reminding yourself throughout your, throughout your days. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, one of the unique things about Christianity is that we can know today what will happen 
on the future judgment day when we stand before our creator God to give an account for our lives. All of us will have to do it. All will have to stand before God who made us and to give an accounting for our actions and our words and our thoughts. I had the privilege of being asked to speak at uh, Jamie Frost's Thanksgiving service. It was held at St. John's the Evangelist down the road. The church was absolutely packed out. And uh, I preached on this text. And a Muslim uh, came up to me, who had been a friend, I think, with Jamie back at school, came up to me after the service, and he told me he was absolutely amazed to hear someone preaching about the judgment of God, about Judgment Day. He was amazed to hear that you could know today for certain that you'd be saved on that day. You see, our Muslim friends really don't have that assurance. But it is possible to know that I'm under no condemnation. And that when I stand before a holy God on the judgment day, I will be declared righteous. It is possible to know that now. And it's got nothing to do with your, your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. Some people think, well, um, if they do stand before God, everything's going to be fine. Regrets, they have a few, but too few to mention. As the song goes, God can simply brush their, you know, their minor misdemeanors under the carpet. But we can only think that if we have such a low view of the holiness and the righteousness of God. And have a very deluded view about our own righteousness. But the Bible is very clear that God is, is passionate about justice. He will ensure that all wickedness, all wrongdoing, all wrong actions will be punished on that day. Because he's sovereign over everything. And he's holy and righteous and good. But even though that is the case, and we are all guilty sinners, the Bible says... There is a way I can stand before this holy God without fear or condemnation. That's what verse 1 is telling us, isn't it? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that's a liberating truth when you grasp it deeply in your inner being. To know that I am free, totally free from condemnation means I can honestly confess my sins and failures before God. I don't need to hide them away. Believing that it is true that there is no condemnation will mean that I can stop punishing myself for those confessed sins. There's no point verbally beating ourselves up in our thoughts or allowing ourselves to be haunted by the past or to be stuck in the past. There's no value in hurting myself or afflicting myself physically or emotionally if I've really understand, understood this truth. There is a way of facing up to my past and knowing that both in the present and in the future, God will not hold these sins against me. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. This salvation means freedom. From condemnation. So this salvation deals with my past. It secures my future. But it also works in my present experience. For it not only offers me freedom from condemnation. But freedom from enslavement to sin. In verse 2. Look at verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus. 
the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free, it says. Now, in what ways have we been set free? What does the Apostle Paul mean when he talks about the law of sin and death? Now, startlingly, what he's referring to is the law of God. The moral law of Moses. You know, the Ten Commandments that include those things like, you shall have no other gods before me. You you should honor your father and your mother. You should do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not covet. And so when we murder or steal or commit adultery, we are breaking God's laws. And we stand condemned before God and deserving the sentence of eternal death. Now, there's nothing wrong With God's law, it's holy, righteous, and good. But such is our sinful nature that the law perversely provokes me, provokes us to sin, and so increases our condemnation that leads to spiritual death, death. See, the law makes demands without offering me the power to actually obey them. It's like the sat-nav that tells you where you should be going, but doesn't give you the fuel to get there, you know? Uh, It reveals the right way to go. It highlights when you're failing to get there uh, at the next junction. Turn around and keeps telling you. But it has no power in itself to get you to that destination. I remember uh, when the kids were smaller, we were in Cardiff. And if you go to Cardiff Bay, well, I'm not sure it's still there, but there's a Doctor Who exhibition in Cardiff Bay, or there was, and uh, as you go through the Doctor Who exhibition, you come to this point and there's a sort of, you can see in the darkness, it looks like there's a Dalek. And, and in front of you, there's a big red button, huge big red button. And over it, there's this command, do not press. Do not press. Now, what, what do you think people do? You know, the people making the exhibition knew exactly that that command, what it would provoke, was disobedience. And when you... Guess what happens? The Dalek swings around, points his little thing at you and goes, Exterminate! Exterminate! They they understand the human nature. It's something about the human nature. Give us a command. We go, oh, I'll show you. I'll show you. It provokes us. See, when we hear the command, do not covet... Perversely, we are stirred up to covet. And when you really do desire to do the right thing, uh, this causes great frustration and great tension in us because we find that we keep falling short of doing the right thing. And the reality of every self-aware Christian, well, I think that's what Paul describes back in chapter 7 and verse 24. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Or look at the second half of verse 25. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. I think it's a great thing. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I think every honest Christian knows something of that experience. We come to love God's word. We desire to obey it, but we find we keep falling short in actual performance and output and actual obedience. You know, the Bible tells me that I should be marked by gentleness. Uh, but, and I deep down want to be a gentle person. 
But, you know, during lockdown with a house of seven people, I found I got stressed and irritated and sharp with my family. There's this mismatch, isn't it, between what God commands and our output. And, and it seems to me sometimes that my sinful nature is like an enslaving power that takes over my thoughts and my words and my actions with deadening impact on myself and the people around me. But the problem is not God's law. The problem is my sinful nature. So look at verse 3 again. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our by the flesh. But Romans 7 is, is not the full picture of the Christian, is it? That's, the salvation that God offers is not only frees us from condemnation, but it tells me that there's a new power at work in us that frees us from this enslaving power of sin. A new power that frees us from being enslaved to our sinful desires and our appetites and our addictions. Now how? This is my second point. How does this come about? Well, take a look at verse 3 again. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. God does it. We can't save ourselves by our own performance. We can't be perfectly obeying God's law and being perfectly righteous. God's law convicts us as guilty sinners. So the brilliant news of the gospel is exactly this, that what we could not do, God did for us. So how does God bring us about? Well, in verse 3, it tells us through his Son. And in verse 4, through his Spirit. So let's think about these two things. How does God do it? Well, he does it firstly through his Son. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. By sending his own Son, literally in the, language, in the original language, sending of himself his Son, it says, the divine Son of God, pre-existing before creation, was sent into the world in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now this is very carefully expressed as John Stott puts it. He, he didn't come in sinful flesh because Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. He did not come in the likeness of flesh, just pretending to be human. No, he truly was human. He was truly human, but he was truly sinless. And he came in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. This is the reason that, that God sent his perfect son into the world to be a sin offering. Our disobedience to the law meant that we deserved death. His sinless life was offered up in his death on the cross as a substitute for sinners. Now Christopher Ash puts it this way. That the law says the right thing is for sinners to die. This right thing happened when Jesus died. He did the right thing by his perfect obedience to death. And so he won for us this status of no condemnation. And this is true for everybody who's united their life with Jesus Christ. He bore the condemnation for our sins in his own body. 
And so therefore there is now no condemnation. This is how he's done it. And this is exactly what Debbie needs to hear, isn't it? When she's haunted by her abortion. Since she put her faith in Jesus Christ, therefore there is now no condemnation. Her sins, all her sins, have already been condemned and punished in the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. There's no guilt left hanging over her. She is right with God. She has peace with God. God has done what she could not do through the death of his incarnate son. God justifies us. It is wonderful news. But also God has done it through his spirit in verse 4. Uh, so tail end of verse 3, and so he condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have this brand new life as God's Spirit comes in our lives to give us spiritual life, the life-giving Spirit uh, as, is, as he is described in verse 2. This is exactly what Ezekiel promised would happen. Uh, that the life-giving Spirit of God would change our hearts so that actually we'll want to respond to God's grace, to respond uh, to please Him and to do His will. And it's the Spirit of God that makes us born again to, to connect us to Jesus Christ. I will give you a new heart, he says in Ezekiel. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So that not only are the demands of the law perfectly met by Jesus Christ in his death for us. But his perfect righteousness is counted as mine. As I'm connected to him. So that the righteous requirement of the law is fully met in us. We are declared righteous. And this new life of the spirit in us begins this transforming work. So as we follow his lead, we will find new desires to obey God's law. We're not merely stuck, enslaved in our addictions and in our sin. Now, come back next week, we're going to hear about how that works, how that comes about, what that involves and entails as we continue in Romans chapter 8. But through his Son, God justifies us, and through his Spirit, God sanctifies us. We can have this growing freedom of of, of, God. of not being enslaved to the stuff of the past as we become more and more like Jesus. Do you know there's former drug addicts and drug dealers in this church praising Jesus? Uh, I, can, I, could tell, I could list a whole bunch of ways. People's lives have been changed by the Spirit of God who's connected us to Christ. He's freeing people. It is the most glorious, wonderful news. And actually as Christians, we need to be reminded of this. This is what the elders in America need to remember as we were sinking down under the weight of our condemnation as we felt for all the, the good things we'd failed to do. Do you see the liberty and the freedom that we have when we're united to Jesus Christ? You know, when as Christians we begin to kind of go back into the attic and pull out those big heavy suitcases and want to walk around with them all the time, we need to remind ourselves, 
put them away. No condemnation. We're freed. We need to recall and rehearse the amazing salvation that God has achieved for us in Christ. We're going to sing at the end. In my place, condemned, he stood in my place. He sealed my pardon in his blood. And of course, you've got to say hallelujah. What a savior. As we sang just before, we, before preaching here, because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. He has given us his spirit, the spirit of life, of joy, of peace. And we're not to live with a sense of burden of failure, but with confidence that God has given us his spirit to face all the challenges in life that we face. Now, if God does this work of saving us, freeing us from condemnation, freeing us from the enslavement of sin, how do you get in on this? That's the question, isn't it? Maybe there's people here, and this is news to you, uh, and, and you, wanna, you think, actually, that sounds pretty good. How do I get in on it? Well, look back at verse 1 again, will you? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is important to realize that this is not automatically true for everyone. It is only true for those who are in Christ Jesus. Back in chapter 7 when Paul says, Who will rescue me from this uh, body that's subject to death? He comes back with the answer, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The people who know that there's no condemnation are those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, imagine you need to get to Gran Canaria. You're fed up with the rain in Edinburgh. You think, I, I hear it's still sunny in Gran Canaria. I want to get there, get some sun. How do you get there? Well, you could choose to swim. But I want to suggest you're not going to get very far, are you? I don't think anyone has swam to Gran Canaria. You need to have something that has the ability to get you there. Something like a, I don't know, an airplane, something like that. And how are you going to get to Gran Canaria? Well, you need to get in the plane. It's no good you standing alongside the plane saying, I'm going to try and copy the plane. I'm going to run along with my arms out. I'm going to try and emulate that plane. No, you've got to get in the plane. How do you get to God? Well, you can't get there by your own efforts. You can't get there by being like Jesus, trying to emulate his life. You've got to put your faith in him. You've got to trust him. I'm going to invite the band to just come up. And I want to put a prayer up on the screen that you could pray if you want to do that today. Perhaps there's someone here, maybe there's a few people here today, and you know that you need to be forgiven of your sins. You know that you need to get right with God and you've never done it. Well, here's a prayer that you could use today. Let me just tell you, talk to the prayer and see if you want to pray it right now. Dear God, I know that I deserve your condemnation. I have sinned and broken your laws. 
Thank you that you sent your son into the world to be a sin offering. Please forgive me and change me by your Holy Spirit so that my life will now forever be in Jesus Christ. Now, maybe someone wants to pray that right now. So um, I'm going to pray that prayer again slowly, and I would encourage everyone to bow their heads, and maybe someone wants to pray that silently in their own heads and hearts as a way of responding to the good news of Jesus. That's for you today. Why go on any further in condemnation and guilt when you can know that there's no condemnation? I'm going to pray now. Dear God, I know that I deserve your condemnation. I have sinned and broken your laws. Thank you that you sent your son into the world. to be a sin offering. Please forgive me and change me by your Holy Spirit so that my life will now forever be in Jesus Christ. Amen.